2: Brazilian team Gaut, it's there they're ahead it's one of the biggest sporting events in the world and today we're giving you an inside look at the teams and playoff pictures to date
1: as we present Atlanta soccer tonight listen as Jason longshore gives you all the latest in the world of soccer
2: as we break down the matchups and get you insights you can only find here
1: Atlanta Soccer Tonight is on Sports Radio 929
0: the Game. Here's Jason Longshore.
3: Let's kick it. Atlanta Soccer Tonight, live on 92-9 Nine, the game and the Odyssey app. Thanks for hanging out with us late night tonight. I'm Jason Longshore alongside Jessica Charman. And Jess, not the best performance from the U.S., probably their worst performance of the three games group stage games plus this one they go out in the round of 16 against the netherlands the quality of the dutch was on display a lot of the tactics that we talked about last night were on display and louis van hall the dutch manager still has not lost a game at the world cup that he's been in charge of
4: yeah it's a disappointment for the u.s and i think a lot of hearts were broken today with that result there was a lot of positives to take from the u.s world cup performance as a whole and i think what's disappointing is now a lot of the focus is going to be on what went wrong today because of the way it happened because of maybe the fact that the performance wasn't at the same level as we'd seen in the first three matches and my long hope is that people will look back and remember all of the progress that was made in this tournament and not just focus on the fact that today they were defeated 3-1.
3: Yeah, and I think that's something that, that we're going to do here on, on this. And I'm sure we'll, we'll revisit the U.S. run in the World Cup, uh, the rest of the tournament at different points, because I, I would expect there's going to be some news. Greg Berhalter is out of contract at the end of the tournament. I don't know if it technically runs through the end of the calendar year or not, but there's going to be talk about that with so many managerial jobs open. There, there's going to be a, a little bit of a silly season for national team managers. We're going to talk about that. We're going to talk about what's coming up next for the U.S. program, but let's let's start with the game today because we came into it, and, and I thought last night when we talked about this, we tried to show that when you look at what options the two teams had, the Dutch maybe had more depth, had more options in what they could do to approach the opponent, whereas the U.S. had their lineup. We had some questions about some of the availability and how long they could go which kind of played out the way we thought. But the U.S. played their way. We weren't really surprised by it. I think Jesus Ferreira starting was maybe the biggest surprise. We expected Walker Zimmerman to come back into the lineup. The Ferreira gambit to start up top with no Josh Sargent, who was completely unavailable, it didn't really work out. But I'm not exactly surprised by it because I I didn't, I didn't wasn't really blown away by Haji Wright either, is what it comes no. down
4: to. No, I think that uh, Greg Berholter wanted to try something different because what he had seen of Haji Wright just wasn't quite good enough. And I think we saw that again with his impact. But unfortunately, Ferreira didn't really shine the way that maybe people had wanted him to do. Perhaps some of that's because of his lack of time, you know, lack yeah. of minutes in terms of playing with this system. It was a lot that was expected to come in to a knockout round and be expected to lead the line, be expected to lead the charge. And It was just such a strange game, though, because we had talked about the the U.S. wanted to have possession. I'm not sure we expected them perhaps to get quite as much possession as they did. But in the end, it became part of their own worst enemy because they ended up looking gassed pretty uh, earlier on in the game, which is what, again, you had predicted, Jason.
3: Yeah, we we talked about the rope-a-dope strategy for the Dutch. Um, It was a little more, I think, clear than maybe I thought it was going to be. I thought the U.S. just might be so you know, jacked up for around a round of 16 knockout game that maybe they ran themselves out a little bit early. The Dutch kind of invited that to a degree. Uh, I think maybe that's being overplayed a little bit that the Dutch didn't want the ball. No, the Dutch wanted the ball. The Dutch wanted to control the game the way they wanted to control it. And Louis Van Hall, I, I think, one of the, the most intelligent managers out there, first off. He is... Maybe a little bit difficult to deal with at times. Maybe you don't like his style of play in terms of excitement. But in terms of tactics, he's incredibly smart. And he knew, coming into this, how the U.S. was going to play. No real surprises there. There's been some quotes that have been taken out of context. And Louis Van Hall was talking about coming into the game. He had a good impression of what the U.S. was going to do. And he also believed that they were not going to change that. And they didn't. The U.S. played their game. But what Van Hall did is he bet on something, and it paid off in a big way. He bet on taking the middle of the field away and forcing the U.S. to play through the flanks. And he bet that his wingbacks would beat the U.S. fullbacks. And they did. Denzel Dumfries, man of the match, two assists and a goal, daily blend, goal and an assist. Your wingbacks for the Dutch in their 3-4-2-1, 3-4-1-2 is what turned the game. He thought that matchup was what favored them. He created a system defensively to make the U.S. have to be in those areas. Paid off. It was a brilliant tactical plan from Louis Van Gaal.
4: It was, Jason. and I think it was one that showed his experience at the highest level of the game. It showed his understanding of finding the weaker spots of the u.s in terms of where they would be able to exploit them and they did it classily i think as well when you look at the game what probably hurt the us as well the most is the fact that the first two goals you look at and their uncharacteristic errors from players that haven't made errors during this tournament the first one in terms of tyler adams for the first time in this entire tournament gave a player a bit of space lost a player he has been here there everywhere all tournament long. And I think that we just saw a little bit of that fatigue mentally and perhaps physically tracking in to the fact that he let the player go ahead of him, Jason.
3: Yeah. And Eunice and Musa has a little bit of blame in that too, in that, you know, Memphis Depay dropped deep and, and we talked about the interchange with the Dutch and how they try to get players in different places than where you might expect. And I don't know if if Adams, you know, if it's a little bit of mental fatigue, if it's just a little bit of a lack of focus, but he lets Depay go, maybe expecting Musa to pick him up. Musa didn't pick him up, and it's a brilliant finish. Uh, The cutback from Dumfries, you know, it's a 21-pass sequence from the Mm. Dutch. That felt like a very Dutch kind of sequence. Um, As the game went on, I thought the U.S. kind of grew into it. And there was something they started to do in the first half that they got away from that I was a little disappointed to see them get away from. I, I thought they kind of figured out what the Dutch were doing in terms of they're, they're not going to let you come through the middle. They want to get you out wide, but they want to do it in a certain way. You started to see Ferreira. You started to see Polisic and Wea drop into that crowded central midfield. But then immediately when the balls played into them, one touch out wide. So they were trying to come in and play out quickly. And I thought that worked for a while in the middle of the first half. The Dutch made some adjustments. The U.S. kind of got away from that, and it didn't work. The one element of this game that I don't think has been talked about enough from a a tactical perspective, go back and look at the movement of Memphis and of Gakpo. Gakpo was really quiet in this, by the way. Mm -hmm. They dropped in a lot of ways and a lot of times as additional wingers. So playing with the wing back because the U S wanted to get Robinson, Anthony Robinson, Serginho Dest forward to help Christian Pulisic and Tim Wea create a two V one against the wing back. So it was the Dutch forwards that were dropping as wingers. It's two reasons they did it. One, you just got to help. You got to create a two V Second. That made the U.S. have to come inside and play centrally because the center backs can't find the numerical advantages out wide and played into pressure for the Dutch. It was a way to kind of give the U.S. the ball but not give it to them in dangerous spots consistently. And I I do think that the U.S., though, even with all that being said, we're starting to find some ways to impact the game. The goal at the end of the first half, another one where it's a little bit of a lack of focus from Serginho Dest in terms of picking up somebody who's free in the 18. That's the goal that changed the game. That's the goal that ended the game for the U.S. in a lot of ways.
4: Yeah, it always is going to. And it's to do with the timing as well. It was a dagger in the hearts, the last minute of focus you go into a halftime break at 1-0 and it's a lot easier to motivate and tell your players that you're going to get back into this one because you always felt like the US was going to score even for the first four, four minutes when Pulisic got the opportunity with a great run a decent finish a really good save that I don't think is getting enough credit in terms of the save I think it's a good save rather than a terrible shot like some people are trying to phrase it as but it losing that second goal particularly with the timing you saw the deflation in the body language you saw the frustration you saw the disappointment and it went from being a little hill that they had to climb in terms of okay well we've created some opportunities we're going to find a way to get a goal now all of a sudden you're looking for two and that makes it a whole lot of a different second half to to play
3: I think one of the big criticisms is is Greg Berhalter didn't find a solution here. I don't know if he had one. Um, one thing that he didn't do that it feels a little counterproductive, but we've seen teams do this to good effect in this tournament, is to, to maybe match the shape of the Dutch, maybe go with three center backs so you've got that extra cover. It would have given Tyler Adams more freedom to go because there would have been one more defender there. You would have been matched up with them 1v1 everywhere. Do you want to do that against the Dutch, who are a very good team? I don't know. I don't know what the solution was. He tried Gio Reyna as a number nine, went with that for a little bit of time. Gio Reyna is not a traditional number nine. Mm-hmm. And I don't know why the the shouts have been to play him as a nine all the time. He's not a nine. They tried to kind of use him a little bit as a false nine, drop in, help build up the play. It worked to a degree. When Haji Wright came on, Reyna went you know, into more of a free, wide position where he could come centrally. You're throwing things at the wall at that point. There's a difference in quality between these two teams. I, I, I don't think you can really argue that. I don't think there was a huge difference in performance between the two teams. The difference was when the Dutch got into the final third, they were clinical, but they were also more composed. The U.S. in the final third not as clinical, and didn't feel as dangerous in general. But number of shots, quality of shots, all those things that you can measure this by, pretty even in this matchup.
4: No, it really was. And when you look back at it, the game kind of felt even as well. I don't ever think it felt like a 3-1 game. I think that scoreline, someone that didn't watch it is going to look back and they're going to think, well, the U.S. got played off the park. They didn't. They played well. They weren't able to finish the opportunities that they had by the one goal from right, of course, which was a crazy finish. But yeah, did he mean it?
3: I think he meant to get something on it, but I think he was really just trying to flick it to the back post. Okay. Hey, you take it.
4: A, credit. a goal's a goal, but I yeah. think that, gosh, if they hadn't conceded that third, there was some more fight in them, a hundred percent, but that third yeah. was the nail in the coffin. And by then it was just too little, too late really, wasn't it?
3: Yeah, and Anthony Robinson, I think, is out of gas at that point. He's not able to get back and help. Um, you're you're running out of subs. You're running out of options. It, it It is what it is when you're chasing a game. The biggest thing that I, I took away, as I was kind of reflecting on this during the day, it reminded me of 2014 in some ways, in that not in terms of the mentality, because I think the U.S. in this round of 16 game versus what they did against Belgium in 2014, They held on for dear life defensively in that game. They had nothing going forward. Mm -hmm. In this one, they played straight up with the Dutch, who are one of the most technical teams, one of the most tactical teams in the tournament. I loved the mentality. I loved the approach. But the fatigue of the group stage, I think this is where it really showed up. And if you want to go back to a moment in the group stage where it really led to this, it's the second half against Wales. And the reason why is if you get three points in that game, if you see that game out and you get a one-nil win and you bank three points, you're able to handle the rest of the group stage differently. You're able to handle the Iran game in game three differently. Maybe not completely rotate like we've seen teams do, but rotate some pieces knowing that you're in a really good spot to get through. You can play more for the draw there. You can be a little cageier. You can be a little more defensive. You had to really go for it in the Iran game, grind yourself out, and you get to this game where legs, but also mental fatigue, catch up. 2014, it was the second game that got away. You had the 1-0 lead against Portugal on the great goal from Jermaine Jones. You didn't see it out. You get punished by a late goal by Portugal. You had to go for the third game, not knowing what the result in the other game would be. You didn't beat Germany, but you had to play your starters. And you go back to that game against Belgium in the round of 16 in 2014. They were dead tired, and they didn't have anything in the tank. That's what it felt like here, too. And when you look at the next step for the U.S. men's national team, it's those sorts of things. It's being ruthless in the group stage, making it easy to advance, getting those opportunities to rest. And then you're in a better position when you get to the knockouts to deal with it. There's big picture things that we're going to talk about in the last segment as well in terms of player development and and those sorts of things. But the way the tournament went kind of got away from you just a little bit in that Wales result. Now, Friday could see an instant classic in the quarterfinals, but it might not be the one that you're thinking of. We know there's one already on the books. Find out which one we think is going to be the instant classic in three minutes as Atlanta soccer tonight returns on 92.9 The Game and the Odyssey app.
1: Back to more of Atlanta Soccer Tonight with Jason Longshore on Sports Radio 92.9 The Game.
3: Welcome back, Atlanta Soccer Tonight, live on 92.9 The Game and the Odyssey app, late night edition after the Big Ten Championship game. Jason Longshore, Jessica Charman hanging out with you. There was another game today that we have to talk about. And, and Jess, I'm not going to lie. I was a little worried when the bracket all fell into place, even when the draw happened, as to what could come up in this tournament. Never happened at a World Cup before in my lifetime. A potential U.S.-Argentina match. And if you know my history and my love of the Argentine national team and, and Diego Maradona and how I got into the game, I would have been an absolute mess on Friday if that game had happened. I'm not happy that the U.S. got knocked out, but I don't know how I would have handled that.
4: I feel like we were robbed. We were robbed a very special moment in the uh, Jason Longshore (sighs) history books in terms of that game. But alas, Australia almost made sure neither team made it into that game, Jason, because I'm not going to lie, the Socceroos put up a fight. I was asking yesterday, one of my biggest key points was I wanted to make sure that the Aussies were able to hold their heads up high after a really good group stage. They're going to feel very disappointed that they went out against Argentina because particularly the second goal that we'll get into. But that's not how most would have probably expected them to feel. I think there are a lot of people that thought this one was going to be put to bed very early and be an emphatic scoreline for Argentina.
3: Yeah, this game was crazy because it felt like... No worries, no problem. Argentina's the better team. Argentina's got plenty of the ball. Argentina's creating a ton of chances. No worries. A little hard to find the breakthrough because Australia is defending deep as as you would expect. But what a what a goal from Lionel Messi. What a opening goal in this game. Just the ability to play in such tight spaces. It's he almost uses Nicholas Otamendi as a wall, like it's a literal wall pass. Cause I don't know if Otamendi really knew much about it. And, and it just bounces right back to Messi in such a quick finish. His 1000th game as a senior professional, as a, a first team player for club and country, 1000 games. He scored 789 goals in those 1000 games.
4: That's insane. It's insane. But what I love even more is I saw a quote posted today about the fact he didn't even know it was a thousandth game because he doesn't care about these things in the same way that other <laughs> players maybe do.
3: He- <laughs> maybe <laughs> one player from Portugal?
4: <laughs> it was a subtle, it was a subtle slight, Jason. It was I, I have subtle. no
3: problem not being subtle in that respect.
4: But I love that about him. And I think that's why he's so successful. And it's a great goal to slot it through the defender's legs, to blindside the goalkeeper. I think that if you don't see it from the right angle, It doesn't look like the most incredible connection. You're wondering how come the goalkeeper maybe doesn't get there because it's not the most powerful strike. Once you see the angle and the way it nutmegs the defender, it's a classy, classy finish. And he's a world-class player. The one thing I worry, though, a little bit is if Messi has an off game, which is rare, or if Messi picks up an injury, or if Messi has some sort of issue and can't play, this Argentinian side relies on him extremely heavily, and they know that, Jason.
3: Yeah, I mean, Debu Martinez, uh, Emiliano Martinez, the goalkeeper, he said, Leo is 99.9% of this team. <laughs> we are the remaining percentage that we try to help him when things don't work out for him. That's the respect that they hold him in, and that's how hard they try to play for him. And I think you saw that in this game a good bit as it went on. You know, the the second goal, Look, Matty Ryan's going to really want that one back, but you do have to give Argentina credit as well for creating the the blunder. Rodrigo DePaul, who I thought had his best game in the tournament, he was somebody that I thought maybe needed to go to the bench earlier in the tournament. He stepped up, answered all the critics. His pressure kind of got Ryan shook, and, and then Julian Alvarez, who does not stop working when he's on the pitch, Alvarez goes, and that's a tough finish in, in that moment where Ryan tries to play it, out to the left side and alvarez kind of spinning like a top puts it back in the goal
4: it's a really good finish and you see ryan sliding in on that last ditch challenge to try and distract him and he finds the back of the net but listen there are some teams that maybe you try to split two forwards with a heavy touch argentina's not one of them you saw in his reaction it's a really tough pill to swallow because i thought he's been really good throughout the tournament and now you're in a position where he's going to relive that one every single moment of his life particularly with the fact that they were able to get a goal back that now becomes the goal that lost them the opportunity to take this one to overtime the aussies tried to fight back though they had a couple of very good opportunities took one massive slide tackle block and another great save from emmy martinez and i'll say something the fight that they showed the resilience they showed was amazing but argentina was able to also respond to that adversity and see the game out
3: yeah full credit to australia um they found their way back into it after that that mistake that would kill a lot of teams off it's a wild goal that they get goodwin just rips a shot from what top of the 18 uh just outside the 18 maybe it takes a crazy deflection off of enzo fernandez and, and there's no chance for martinez to keep it out fernandez Needs to be in this team at all times. He's great. It's it's an unlucky moment for him where it deflects off of him. He was huge. Uh, Lisandro Martinez coming in the second half was huge for this team. He made a big tackle late. Debu Martinez, crazy goalkeeper. He had to make a big play on somebody that we've talked about a lot in this tournament. Garan Kowol, the 18 year old who became the youngest player to play in the knockout stages since Pele in 1958. He nearly became a national hero in Australia.
4: Not just a national hero, a household name across all soccer fans, honestly, because if he'd have been able to get the equalizer that took this one to extra time and anything can happen in extra time, it would have been incredible. He did everything right. Martinez just comes out quick, closes down the angle, makes a point-blank save by just doing the starfish technique of making himself big, gets onto the rebound, holds it clean. And you saw Argentina... Celebrate with their goalkeeper that was a special moment as well because I know we talk about Messi being the hero, but it also takes a solid goalkeeper. I think uh, Emiliano Martinez needs to give himself a little bit more credit for the stability he brings back there. Maybe he's a worth five percent of the team,
3: he's at least five percent. He's definitely a big, big factor, and he needed to make a big save. I, I feel like because. Uh, Some of the reports from after the Saudi Arabia game, he was really down on himself. He didn't make a save in that game. The two goals, I mean, the first one takes a deflection. The second one's a wonder goal. I don't think he's at fault for either one, but he reportedly had to talk to a psychiatrist. He was that down and that upset about his performance in game one. He needed to make a big save, I think, to get some of that cockiness back that swagger
4: we need the uh martinez of the penalty shootouts where he's talking to the (laughs) colombian forwards and telling him he knows where he's gonna put it i think that people underestimate how tough mentally goalkeeping is right i Mm. think it's the most lonely position on the pitch it's the most unique position on the pitch you can be part of the team but no one quite understands what you're going through it takes a really special character to be a goalkeeper to be able to put up with that to be able to almost face mental torment after every game that you lose and I'm glad that he's in a position to have that high level of you know treatment to be able to talk to someone get out of his system and you're right making a big save not just like a big save that didn't matter but such a meaningful save in the dead of the game that prevents his team having to go to extra time because the last thing Argentina needed was more minutes under their belt because you never want to give your opposition the advantage of more rest and having to play more minutes if you can avoid it.
3: Yeah, I will tell you all out there if you did not see that shootout in the Copa America last year with Argentina and Colombia, just go watch the highlights of the shootout and make sure Need you patches. get one of what's that? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Make sure make sure you get one of the the uh, highlight packages that has the captions of what Martinez was saying uh, to Yeri Mina and even. Even Messi was talking trash. It was that big of a deal in the shootout. It was crazy. Uh, two games tomorrow, later today, that we have to talk about now. <laughs> France and Poland and England and Senegal. I said there's a classic matchup on Friday that, that we could be looking forward to. Argentina and the Netherlands is a classic matchup. It's a matchup that has decided a World Cup before, 1978. You go back to 2014, the only time that Louis van Gaal did not walk away as a winner of a match or at least getting the draw and and getting a point was in the semifinal in 2014, where he lost in a penalty shootout to Argentina and Lionel Messi. This is, and go back to the Dennis Bergkamp goal in 1998. There's so many moments of history between Argentina and the Netherlands. That doesn't compare to what we could have on Friday, England and France in a World Cup quarterfinal. Uh, do you want to go ahead and start trash talking now or do you want to wait to see no, how the game going? No, goes? no,
4: no, because there's still 90 minutes of soccer for England, 90 minutes for soccer for France. And who knows? Maybe there's an upset on the card. I think that we've seen a lot of crazy things in this game. I'm hoping it's an upset in the, the first game of the day and not the second <laughs> game of the day. But I'll tell you, if there's one thing I've learned throughout my time being a soccer fan and a soccer player, it's that the most dangerous thing you can do is underestimate an opponent and think that your path is already set. And I think that. Everyone thinks that England's gonna beat Senegal, and I get it. Quality-wise, you 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 should, you should. You're the Mm favourites, but I think they're a tougher opposition, and they're playing very well, and they have momentum, which is a thing that a lot of teams are lacking in this tournament after tough third games. I think this is two teams in England and Senegal that have momentum coming off good performances in their last game of the group stages.
3: Yeah, let's talk England Senegal. It's the second game of the day tomorrow, two o'clock. English lineup. Do you start Phil Foden?
4: If it, the, hmm, I like what he did, but I don't know if he's a starter. I don't know. I think that he's a great impact off the bench. He's a player I want to bring in with an hour, uh, an hour in and give him 30 minutes to run loose. I'm mm-hmm. telling you, Marcus Rashford is the one that I would start for his consistency, yeah. for the fact that he's got three goals in this tournament, for the fact that he, he's a double threat in terms of his ability from distance, in terms of his dribbling, in terms of his decision-making I think he's a player that's earned his starting spot, and I'm hoping that he gets the respect and the nod that he deserves because I think that if you leave him sat on the bench, he, he's a wasted uh, player just sitting there.
3: I think Jude Bellingham is maybe the most important player for England in this game because the, the games he's played well in this tournament, England's won. The game that he did not play well, uh, it was a scoreless draw with the U.S., and you give the U.S. midfield credit in that as well but Bellingham will be tested in this one. Uh, Pop Gay of Marseille came into the midfield against Ecuador. He was a standout for Senegal. Ismail Assis also started in that game for the first time in the tournament. He was a standout. He's at Rio Vallecano. So you got Liga, you got La Liga. They will be missing Senegal. Their typical number 10, Idrissa Gay, yellow card accumulation, plays for Everton at the club level. How they replace him is going to be the key, but we've, talked about this throughout the tournament. you got to have somebody who can win a game for you, and you got to have somebody who can keep you in a game. Senegal's definitely got the latter. When mm-hmm. you talk about Koulibaly at center back and Mendy in goal, they can keep England off the board.
4: No, 100%. I think I'm a little concerned about it, honestly. I do love the fact that firepower-wise, we've got a lot of players that have scored goals in this tournament. Yep. I think in past tournaments, it's always been a concern when the goals are coming from Harry Kane, where – we become very predictable. We become very one trick pony in the fact that we're looking for Harry Kane to step up and show show what he can do. And I'm, you know, I wasn't expecting to get through to the knockout round without Harry Kane scoring a goal, quite no. frankly. But here we are, and we're having to find different ways of scoring. And I think that's what makes us a stronger team than maybe previous tournaments that we have other avenues. That said, you got a world-class goalkeeper in Mendy that can do the most miraculous saves. You've got a great defender, as you mentioned, in Bali, and I think the Senegal have looked very organised defensively in the majority of their games. It's going to be about England not getting frustrated if things don't go their way right away. I think you mentioned Bellingham being a key, key player in this one to show his potential. He's been on a bit of an up-and-down tournament, as you mentioned, against the US. He was nowhere to be found. Tyler Adams had him in his pocket, quite frankly, and he showed his experience over Bellingham if bellingham wants to make that big money signing and show what he can do he needs to perform in the highest most important games and this is the most important game that he will have played in wearing an england shirt
3: Ismaila Sarr for senegal could be trying to make that big money move as well from watford he's already being linked with clubs in the upcoming january window and and he's the focal point in the attack without sadio mane he's the guy he's delivered in this tournament he's been really good can he do it again He's going to have to for Senegal to find a way to take this to at least extra time and and make the English sweat. I, I think they're going to sweat for a little while. We'll get into the, the odds in the next segment, but I think England's going to find their way through. That one is a little trickier than the first game of the day, in my opinion, France and <laughs> Poland. Poland hasn't looked good in the tournament. We'll dig into this a little bit deeper after the break, but they're going to have to find a way to get service for Robert Lewandowski, who has been isolated and and no service for him, no, no crosses coming in, no real opportunities to do anything. The French side has controlled games. They've got a dangerous attack, and I think they're going to find a way to handle it. I'm curious to see what the, the juice boxes are looking like in that one. We're going to find out in three minutes with the odds, and we're also going to get into What's next for the U.S. Men's National Team Program? All that's coming up after the break on Atlanta Soccer tonight on 92.9 The Game and the Odyssey app.
5: Selling a little or a lot? Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launcher Online Shop stage... All lowercase. Go to Shopify.com slash Odyssey Podcast now to grow your business no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash Odyssey Podcast. After the end of a good fight, you deserve an ice cold reward. Medella is the mark of a fighter. You've earned this rich golden lager with a crisp, refreshing taste because you know the bigger the fight, the better the reward. You put in the hours.
2: Whatever takes you on the go, T Mobile's got you covered. Find out more at tmobile.com/slash network today. Coverage not available in some areas. See 5G device coverage and access details at tmobile.com. It's soccer. It's soccer on the rule stage. And
1: Jason Longshore has it all covered with Atlanta
2: Soccer Tonight. On Sports Radio 929, The Game. Welcome back,
3: Atlanta Soccer. Tonight, late night edition. One more segment to wrap things up for a Saturday that saw the U.S. get knocked out of the tournament by the Netherlands. And looking ahead to a Sunday that could potentially set up an England-France quarterfinal. The odds makers are definitely on board with this. Both teams, England and France, huge favorites, according to FanDuel Sportsbook. England minus 550. France minus 9.50 to win. Poland a big underdog at plus 6.10. Maybe they have been watching the tournament, Jess, (laughs) seeing those numbers for Poland. Poland's been the most disappointing team that made it to the round of 16, in my opinion.
4: Yeah, I'm I'm not going to lie, and it's going to sound really mean, but watching Poland celebrate, getting through, was really almost embarrassing. That sounds bad, but celebrating like that after you've lost the game, after you've played the way you've played, I think you need a wake-up call instead of, you know, popping the champagne and cheering. Yeah, it's a great achievement. But the right mentality of a player would be disappointed with the way they've got into this group. They would be worried about the way that they've got into this, out of this group. And now they've got a huge, huge obstacle ahead against France, who has been the best attacking team in the tournament. We know they've still got some holes. And I think that is what Poland will take solace in, that the French have looked a little error-prone defensively, a little like you could find some gaps. But the only way they're going to find the gaps for the Polish is they're able to get their big name Lewandowski on the ball. And so far, he yes, he's got the goal, the goal off of an error. He's been a man on an island and not a very nice island.
3: Yeah, Poland's going to have to show some impetus to get forward in this game. And they haven't really done that in this tournament. I mean, it's been that dreadful for them. and. France is a team that I just I have a bad feeling that you're going to turn this game on and it's going to be Poland with nine behind the ball. Lewandowski standing at midfield waiting for something to happen. And France just running into a brick wall for 30 minutes or so before they start to break it open. The the, the player is going to break it open and I will give you a an additional prop from FanDuel Sportsbook. Antoine Griezmann Mm -hmm. to assist plus 185. I love that number. It feels like free money. Nobody has created more chances in this tournament than Antoine Griezmann. His expected assists, so the the quality of the chances he's creating, is by far the best. Most of them coming from open play, although he is very good on set pieces as well. He's the only player to create at least 10 chances in this World Cup and the last World Cup. So Griezmann to assist is... A no-brainer for me. Particularly when
4: you have the quality that he's finding as well. It does help that he has a player of Mbappe's ability that he's able to thread a ball through to finish his chances. Let's be fair here.
3: Yeah, helps a little bit for sure. Uh, Trying to get Giroud that record goal for France as well. He's still tied with Thierry Henry. I think he's going to get it in this one. I I think France wins comfortably. I think England has to work for it. I don't think it goes extra time. I think they end up winning 3-1.
4: Okay. You'll take that? Yeah, I'll take that. I'm still not feeling too confident, but I'll
3: take it. You don't sound like you're going to take that. You sound a little worried. Um, I was kind of like that coming into the game with the Netherlands, obviously, for the U.S. Uh, Much different scenario. It played out like I was kind of worried that it would, that the Dutch would end up taking care of business. And now you start to have to figure out what's next for the U.S. men's national team program. We know they're not going to have to qualify in 2026. We know that, you know, you're one of the hosts. Um, I am still kind of waiting to see how they decide are all three going to get hosting slots? It is a 48-team tournament going forward. So there's, I think, six spots from CONCACAF or five, and one goes into a playoff.
4: Five and a half, I think it is, right?
3: Yeah, I think you're right. I think it's five and a half. So you can do it that way. Everybody will be fine. Nobody will be shocked if U.S., Mexico, Canada get automatic spots so you're not gonna have to do that you're gonna have to find competitive games um the nation's league in europe takes away the big friendlies you could set up but that's not even really what you need in my opinion you need competitive games Mm -hmm. you'll have the gold cup okay great you need to work with convo ball to create a copa america combined tournament in 2024 You need to do it. One, because the money will be stupid. It was last time. It'll be even dumber this time. It'll be an opportunity to have some of the cities that are involved in the World Cup in 26 get a little bit of a dry run for a tournament. That's a good thing. And it'll be competitive games. It's critical for that to happen for the U.S. But the first thing they got to figure out, Jess, who's going to be in charge? Because Greg Berhalter's contract is up. He was asked about it. Um, he was not committal. He said the next couple of weeks he'll sit down and think about what's next. So that doesn't sound like he's been. <laughs> it doesn't in deep sound good. does it? <laughs> no, it's different than some of the other managers who were eliminated, though, who said, you know, hey, I'm I'm out. I'm I'm good. My contract's up, or I'm I'm not coming back, or you know whatever. I. I could go either way on this. And and I, I think that's something that needs to be understood in this conversation because there's a lot of people who have never liked Greg Berhalter and won't give him his flowers for what he did in this tournament. He did a good job. I think he did a good job. Did he do a great job? No, he did a good job. He got them to the tournament. He got them out of the group stage. And the most important thing is what he said from the beginning and what wasn't there in 2014 and it wasn't there really anytime in the past. He said to Fox after the loss, he said, we've made some progress. When people look at our team, they see a clear identity. That's what Louis Van Hall was talking about as well. And it's a proactive identity. It's not the bunker and hope. It's not the kick and run. It's not the, we have good athletes, but maybe not the best soccer players. Uh-uh. This team played toe-to-toe in the Dutch style against the Dutch and had opportunities in that game for it to go the other way. That's a credit to what Greg Berhalter's done. Does that mean he should get the job automatically for the next four-year cycle? No, it doesn't. Um, I don't know what direction you go, but I do believe that U.S. soccer really needs to sit down and have a very thorough conversation about what direction they want to go. Because I don't think Greg Berhalter should be handed the job. I do think he should be considered, though.
4: I would say so. I think that the respect across the world for the U.S. has absolutely grown during this tournament because of the commitment to the way they play, the fact that they didn't play scared. They didn't play like an underdog in the games. They came out and they attacked the games, and they are looking like a side now that belongs in these tournaments that is a definite you know, team that should be in the World Cup, which isn't how it's always been seen from the outside. I think I'm blessed with that perspective coming from England, where a lot of people, you know, in years past would have just thought the US wasn't a soccer nation. I think now the respect has grown. You saw even Jack Grealish talking about how good the US were in the game. When you're getting respect from big name players, it shows what you've done and what you've done well. I think the issue is that the grass isn't always greener on the other side the biggest thing the us has to do is make sure that if they're going to go in a different direction it's a direction with a manager that is going to foster and utilize the incredible young quality that this side has because we saw a young young team this year in four years time they are going to be in their prime you cannot waste the next cycle, you just can't afford to do it, not only because of the quality you have, but with you hosting, having the home advantage, being on the display, you need to find a manager if it's not going to be Greg Berhalter, which is fine because he wasn't perfect. There is better managers out there, but if the U.S. cannot get one of them, you can't take that gamble of just picking anybody because you want a change.
3: Yeah, you got to be smart about this. For me, and I'll I'll say it right now on uh, early in the morning on December fourth in 2022, that in the 2026 World Cup, the expectation should be at least the quarterfinals. Mm-hmm. It should be winning a round of sixteen game. It should be a quarterfinal appearance in a tournament that you're hosting. That's not too much to ask. That's not crazy. It should be getting to the best eight. I think they're. I think they've shown that they're a top sixteen team in the world. I think that's a, a pretty well-established fact, even you know, with what happens occasionally. You didn't qualify in 18. Dutch didn't qualify in 18 either. Italy hadn't qualified for the last two. It's tough to get the job done. Greg Burhalter did that. He deserves credit for it. Can he take it to another level? Because that's what needs to happen. Can he grow in the job? Can he get better? Can he help these players get better? National teams are different. I think a lot of people maybe have the, the wrong impression of the job. He doesn't have these guys for very long at a time. We don't know what the competition format is going to look like between now and 26. He's got to be a lot of a, a lot more of a man manager than a, like a, a system manager. I think he did a great job in getting a system in place that allowed the U.S. to be more on the front foot in this tournament than ever before, ever in the, the team's history. But who can take it to the next level? You look at U.S. managers, and, and some people will tell you they feel like the manager of a national team needs to be from that country. I'm not hard and fast on that rule. I, I don't think that is a must. I think it is a would like to have. I don't think it's a must. You look at who could be in that role. One person who was interviewed last time, Just won the U.S. Open Cup this season with Orlando City, Oscar Pereja. I think Oscar Pereja, in terms of being a man-manager, outstanding. In terms of understanding the system and understanding young players and the mentality of bringing him through, outstanding. He was the one who really put everything in place with the Dallas Academy. Does he embrace the style of play that would progress this through? That I don't know. I'm not 100% sure on that. I don't know if he would leave Orlando for the job. I think he would but I don't know that for sure. I don't know if Jim Curtin would. I think Jim Curtin's more likely to maybe be in the, the mode of trying to get to Europe. I don't think his style of play <laughs> that we've seen would suit this team either. I'm, I'm right there with you. And I think I think Jesse Marsh falls into that category too because they're very similar. And I don't see Jesse Marsh leaving Leeds for the national no. team. Um, no. And I think he's got an opportunity to to take Leeds into more of a stable place. I. I don't think there's an obvious U.S. choice to replace Greg Berhalter if you go that direction.
4: I don't think so either, because you're looking at stars of play that aren't desirable. Let's be honest. Philly is a successful team, but. Very. Is that what you want to watch every time the U.S. is on TV or on the world stage? I don't think so. And
3: how much could you actually implement that style in a national team format? That's, I think, my biggest concern. I don't. I personally don't like the style. And that's not to say it's it's not worthy. It's not something that can win. None of that. I don't like the style because I like a team that wants the ball. Philadelphia, Jim Curtin, Jesse Marsh with what he's done everywhere he's been, they don't want the ball. I think you have players that want the ball. I I don't know if they match up with the personality of the team. I also just don't know if their style of play can really work at a national team level. Now, there is a name out there, hasn't been linked with the U.S. Men's National Team, but has been able to take a very identifiable way of playing and make it work in a national team format. And he won. Uh, he didn't win, but he set the the table for what Chile did when they won back-to-back Copa Americas under Jorge Sampaoli, who is also out there, by the way, if you want to go down that road, Marcelo Bielsa. Now, look, the rumors have him going to Uruguay, which feels really weird and really sudden. Um, he would require the federation to give up a lot of control.
4: Uh-huh.
3: That's a lot.
4: Is that going to happen, Jason? You know the U.S. better than me.
3: <laughs> is is it going to happen? I don't think it does. But the U.S. Federation is run by different folks than it used to be. Maybe they would go down that road. Um, I would not have a problem with pursuing it and, and checking on it and seeing if everybody can work together in that way. I, I would not be opposed to exploring it. I do think Sampaioli is an interesting alternative because he is somebody who did not have the most success with Argentina in 2018. That team was a little dysfunctional, whether it was Sampaioli or anybody else. But he did have it with Chile. And he is from the Bielsa school, maybe not quite as idiosyncratic is the word I'm going to use for Marcelo. Um, I love Marcelo Bielsa's way of thinking about the game. But he's a lot to handle maybe some Bioli would be a little more easy Balanced. to handle
4: and i think you need the balance in terms of creating those relationships with players as well right Bielsa yeah. so was a very special manager but there are moments within his style that maybe certain players wouldn't you know see eye to eye with or enjoy and i think if there's something that seems to be quite good right now in the US team. It's the culture. There seems to be very good relationships within the team. The team seems to be very happy together and you want to make sure you're able to find that balance within a coach that doesn't come in and try and rattle and shake up everything, right? I think when we look at this US team, the key thing to remember is the core is clearly doing well. The the basics are there with this team. You're looking for someone to turn and grind the notches, to move up into the fifth gear from the fourth gear. It doesn't need to be a complete overload and change in what you're doing
3: no it doesn't and it shouldn't be um it, it's going to be an interesting storyline because there's people who never wanted berhalter in the job they're hoping that he's not going to be in the job going forward but there's not a plan it's just we don't like this guy there has to be a plan there has to be a plan for who can come in and do it better there has to be something like that it can't just be rabble, 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 let's yell, let's be mad, whatever. That doesn't work at this level of the game where the U.S. is getting to. Maybe some other countries can be in that mentality. This one can't, not with hosting a World Cup coming up. I do want to leave with uh, Tim Ream's comments. Mm -hmm. Uh, Brilliant quote from him, Henry Bushnell of Yahoo Sports had this. And Tim Ream had been out of the team for a good while before this tournament, came in next to Tyler Adams, maybe the best player the U.S. had. He said, I've tried to convey to the guys, you're never guaranteed anything in this game. Um, I've been in the program for 12 years, never guaranteed anything. Obviously, a lot of these guys are guaranteed another World Cup. For me, that's not going to happen. He wanted to get it across to these players, his teammates, that every training session, every game, it needs to be treated like it's their last. Uh, He said, tomorrow, if it all finished and their career was done, would they be happy with it? He said, yeah, he can. He can say that. He's given everything he has. He's still going to play at Fulham. Um, he's been a great soldier for the national team. He was great in this tournament. The U.S. doesn't get as far as they do without the guts to play Tim Ream and the performances that he had. So it, just an amazing leader for this young group. We're back tomorrow. We're going to recap England and France's games. We're going to do this after the NFL game on Sunday night, so we'll probably be live about 1145. Make sure you subscribe to the Off the Woodwork podcast on the Odyssey app or your favorite podcatcher. You can always listen to the show on demand, hear all of the bonus interviews as well. Thanks for hanging out with us very late on a Saturday night slash Sunday morning or listening to the podcast edition. See y'all next time. Adios, everybody.
2: How powerful is Cox Internet? Powerful enough to let your band members in Vegas, Phoenix, and Rhode Island jam like you're all in the same garage.